Well, today is the season finale of series six of Jesus the series, season six. So far, we saw Jesus resurrect the son of a widow woman. We saw that Jesus had compassion on this poor, lonely woman. He cared. He spent his time on her. He brought life into that situation. Then we saw Jesus uh, and his family being confused by his ministry and not understanding. And then the Pharisees believing that Jesus was motivated by Satan. And through that story, we understood that it's hard to follow Christ. It takes sacrifice if you're doing it right. Now, last week, we saw Jesus asleep on a boat as his disciples panicked about the storm. It's okay to have questions for God, but it's not okay to question God's goodness, his love, or his character. And even when you do forget who he is, he wants to remind you. Calm yourself by remembering the one who calms the storm. Now, I'm going to warn you right now, today things get weird, okay? Today things are going to be strange. We're going to see a maniac, we're going to see some demons and some suicidal pigs. It's a doozy. Now, Josh and I went to a pastor's conference a a few weeks ago, and a man was speaking, a pastor, and he had brought up a couple times how he had a doctor of ministry. And I don't know if you know this, but the doctors of ministry, this degree that you can have, the abbreviation is D. Men. So Josh and I were very confused as he kept mentioning that he had a demon because he shoved those two words together and we're like, okay, uh, that's kind of weird. And that was weird. And today this story is going to get a little weird. Jesus and the disciples got out of a boat on the other side of this calm sea of Galilee. They just marveled at Christ because they understood that he not only could heal people and raise the dead, but he also controlled nature. And this account is talked about in Matthew, uh, Luke, and Mark. But today we're going to look at that book of Mark in chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. If you want to go ahead and turn there, there's Bibles there in front of you, or you want to pull up the app with the notes and everything. Uh, We'll slowly go through this and talk about it as we read it. But we're going to start off in verse 1, chapter 5 of Mark. They came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gerizans, which is also known as the Gadarenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains. But he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying and cutting himself with stones. Now, things get spooky when we start to talk about demons, right? But we have to detach ourselves from movies like The Exorcist and really look at what the Bible is talking about here with spiritual warfare. And we know that there is more to life than just the physical world. And the Bible tells us that God created angels as his servants and messengers. And Colossians 1.15 tells us that Jesus took part in creating everything, visible and invisible. Now, angels were created. No, we don't become angels when we die. And we also know that, no, uh, angels are not fat little, you know, naked babies with harps. But here we see there's a different type of uh, angels, right? There's uh, lots of different types. There's cherubim and seraphim and archangels. They have 
all kinds of wings and faces and eyes. It's really strange stuff. But ultimately, what they are is spiritual beings. They're not to be revered or worshipped. They worship God. Now, it is possible to fixate too much on angels and demons, seeing them as masterminds behind all strange occurrences. But you would do better to fixate on the Christ that is really in control. Jesus is the one that we should spend our time worshiping. Now, demons are fallen angels that disobey God and chose to follow Satan uh, as their leader. So here we have a man in a graveyard that was living there. And he was under the influence of many evil spirits. In the Bible, we see demonic influence in someone that is not yet a believer, causing many different types of ailments, both physical and spiritual. And we also know that as Jesus followers, the Bible says we are sealed as the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. We cannot be controlled by an evil spirit, although Jesus was tempted in the desert, and that can happen. We can be tempted in some way. Now, when the book of Matthew talks about this occurrence, it mentions another demon-possessed man uh, there as well. And Luke and Mark don't mention the second man, but clearly this man with a legion of demons gets most of the attention. Now, so once you're past the creepiness of this story, you see that this man is a human being that is suffering. And he lived far away from society, surrounded by death. I'm sure he felt alone. And people had tried to help him before, but nothing worked. So he's forced to live outside of the city, the equivalent of a padded cell and a straitjacket. For the Jews, these tombs would have been a place of uncleanness to be avoided. But this was somebody's son, maybe brother, maybe dad. And he was constantly in a state of rage and panic. And he was stronger than a normal man. And he tried, they tried to restrain him, but he broke the chains off. He was hopeless. Crying and shouting and, and cutting himself night and day, day and night. No rest for the wicked. He looked more like a monster than a man. But Jesus sees his humanity. Jesus sees that he is a person made in the image of God. And instead of running away from this man and all his problems, Jesus looks at him as this man runs toward him. Most of us might see a situation like this and say it's too messy. It's too hopeless. This is creepy and weird. Not only is he ceremonially unclean, so this would have been a cultural problem as well, but also this man hadn't bathed in a while, and he's buck naked. He's out of his mind. Plenty of excuses not to get involved here. But Jesus saw a man that was formed and fashioned by him and that was broken and hurting. In fact, Jesus knew where he was headed when he got into that boat and went through a storm that he calmed. He was headed to this, this land, to these shores, to meet this maniac in a graveyard. Verse 6. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. The Pharisees and the scribes did not believe that Jesus was God. His family had 
questions for him. His disciples were unsure what to make of this man. But the divinity of Jesus was so obvious to this man that was enveloped in wickedness. The demons knew him. They had seen him before long ago. They knew what Christ could do and they asked for mercy and they wanted to be left alone. But Jesus had compassion on this man who was being tormented. The demons had a real understanding of who Jesus was and what he was capable of, but they did not worship him. Trip Lee says this. He says, this is a staggering reminder for us. You see, you can know who Jesus is without knowing him. Because knowing him involves having a deep, intimate relationship with him, interacting with him, trusting him, experiencing his love. Memorizing facts and titles is not what Jesus has called you to do. And God is not impressed with our book smarts. You say smart things about God, good for you. So do the demons. If your knowledge of God has not led to a changed life, you're no better than the demons. Verse 8 says, For he, being Jesus, was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly to send them out of the country. So Jesus asked this man his name, but the demons answer and instead say, my, my name is Legion, for we are many. A person's name is so important. If you're one of those people that just resign to the fact that you're just bad at names, you'll miss opportunities for the gospel. When you learn someone's name, it means that you see them, you care, you notice them. And Jesus asked this man his name, but the evil is what spoke back. This wickedness had become his identity. Verse 11. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. I told you all this was weird. <laughs> but Jesus is filled with mercy, right? These wicked, disobedient, formal angel, angels that had rejected the triune God instead asked for mercy. And for whatever reason, Jesus granted it to them. Things like demons are creepy, but they cower at the name of Jesus. Jesus didn't need holy water. He didn't need some kind of magic spell or a crucifix. Jesus has ultimate authority over evil. Now, if you're unfamiliar with this exotic animal in this story, uh, we've got a picture of it right here. There it is. It's a pig. It looks delicious, right? Now, I don't know why it was the preferable option uh, for these demons to be sent into these pigs, uh, but... Demons, the demons understood the authority of Jesus, and they knew that his wrath was capable of unimaginable things. But we also know that the people around got to see a physical representation of all the baggage that this man had. He had a whole herd of messed up things going on in his life. But the bigger news here, we can get stuck in the creepiness, but the bigger news here is this man is free. 
finally, his life was a mess and it was hopeless. And for the first time in forever, he was free. Verse 14. Creeped out these people around it too, uh, around this situation. It says, the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and the country. And the people came to see what it had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. The demons had begged Jesus to leave them alone, and now these people that are in the city are begging Jesus to leave. These people should have been happy that a man was set free. This guy that was a maniac all of a sudden was put together. And if nothing else, they should have been psyched that this dude that was running around naked all of a sudden had clothes on. But what actually they cared about was their money and their livelihood. And they didn't want to be uncomfortable. First, this town didn't see the human, right? They saw this guy's demons. They couldn't deal with it, so they sent him to live among the tombs. Jesus heals the man, fixes the problem, and they still don't see the human. All they see is these disappearing dollar signs. 2,000 pigs is a big deal. And many of us are like that, too. We want to see good things happen as long as it's not uncomfortable for us and it doesn't ha uh, cause us to have to sacrifice in some way. So the town literally asked Jesus to leave after seeing his power. They thought to themselves, if this is what learning and following Jesus, having Jesus around, if this is what it's like, I don't want any part of it. We'd rather have the Jesus that tells us that all our dreams will come true and that we can have an acre of land and a picket fence and a golden retriever and, and a cushy retirement plan. Give me that Jesus. I don't want loving God, loving people and doing mission to actually make me uncomfortable, to make things awkward in any way or to cost me anything. Verse 18. So Jesus began to leave. It says, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons, begged him that he might be with him. This man wanted to stay with Jesus. But Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them of how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. And that man, he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. Everyone marveled. The city didn't want Jesus around. Jesus doesn't fight. He doesn't argue. God never imposes his will on us, although he could. So Jesus gets back in the boat to head to minister to other places. And then this man that formerly was known as the demon-possessed man begs Jesus to let him follow him anywhere. And I can understand why, right? Everyone else had turned their backs on him. He was alone and hopeless until Jesus came. But Jesus says, look, I'm leaving, but you have a family and a friends here that need to know what God has done for you and how much mercy he had on you when you were hopeless. And this man went all over Decapolis and spread the gospel and people marveled at what the Lord had done for this man. John Helms tells us this story is about the reality 
of the battle between good and evil and to show you that this story is really a snapshot of all of our lives. We're all captives to sin, but Jesus has the power and the authority to free us. So what stands out about this interaction between this man and Jesus that we can learn from? Well, first, Jesus was willing to spend his life ministering to people that others had given up on. Over and over again, Jesus proved that he loves messy people, the broken people, the people that have no hope for a future. He sees people like this demon-possessed man and says, that's where I'm going to invest my life. Sin had ruined this man's life. He had let it control him and overwhelm him. He was broken and hopeless. He was naked, afraid, and angry. So who are the people around you that scare you when you consider helping them, ministering to them, and spending your life on them? Who are the risky people around you, the dangerous people around you? that you're not sure you want to spend your time on. If you go with Jesus, you can make a difference. You're not the hero. Jesus is always the hero. And if you go with him, he will make a difference. Secondly, we saw that sin had become this man's identity. He looked at himself and he said, I am the man that is demon-possessed. People had said that For years, as he passed by, they didn't remember his name anymore. They looked at him and said, that's the guy that's demon-possessed. And that's how he saw himself. Maybe you look at your sin that way, too. You're not just the person that worries sometimes. Now you're you're the worrier. You don't just struggle with pornography. No, now you see yourself as a pervert. You don't just struggle with coveting material things. You see yourself as bad with money. But someone that's been redeemed and bought by the blood of the lamb, God has gifted you his righteousness. And your identity is not in your sin anymore. Your identity is in Christ. And if he can do this for this naked monster of a man absolutely flooded with demonic influences, imagine what God can do for you. No one was more hopeless than this man. We see that with the woman that was caught in adultery as well. The scribes and the Pharisees had labeled her a prostitute and they lifted themselves up. We are righteous and you are a sinner. But Jesus looked at her and said, I don't accuse you. Go and sin no more. That's not your identity. And through your faith in me, Jesus says, go and be someone else. Sin is not your identity. And if you're a follower of Jesus, your identity is in Christ. You're a child of the King. So stop letting your shame be your name. Jesus calls you by your name today. Lastly, this man was set free and went to tell everyone about what Jesus did for him. This man wanted to jump in the boat and stay with Jesus. But Jesus says, no, I'm launching you out. You are sent 
And we see this all over in Acts and Romans and the epistles. Jesus' design for the church is not to have all the lights in one room, but to disperse that light out into the world. And God used this man's creepy, uncomfortable story to bring hope to many people. And hope to you, even today. God can use your story to bring hope to those around you as well. Right now, every member is a missionary. For the gospel to move forward, you need to take steps. And people need the hope that you can bring by telling them what Jesus did for you. See, days and months later after this story, one day after Palm Sunday, Jesus was the man that was bloody and naked among the tombs, flesh cut and bruised. But Jesus went through all of that so that sin and death could no longer reign in and destroy your life. We could be free from those chains. Tim Keller says, Christ absorbed evil into himself. He died on that cross one day so that he could wipe out evil without wiping out us. So are you willing to do ministry that actually costs you something? Time, talents, treasures, resources. What about when it stops being fun and starts being hard, uncomfortable, and maybe a little bit weird and messy? No one is too far gone for God. Have faith. Don't give up hope. See, when we label people as untouchable, we label people as past the point of grace and mercy. That is a lack of faith on our part. God is bigger than those sins. No one was farther away than this maniac in the tombs. And Jesus brought hope. We aren't just called to minister to put together people. But the broken, the hurting, the awkward, the uncomfortable. Real people have skeletons in their closet. Are they worthy of our love and attention? Are they worthy of us telling them about the hope that is found in Christ? Maybe the person that you identify the most with in this story is that man that is bound by his sin. Maybe you're letting your guilt and shame become your identity. And you see yourself as too far gone. And now you're just running out the clock. You don't have any hope for tomorrow or the next day or the next day. Jesus doesn't look at you like that. He looks at you like a person that is formed and fashioned and he has breathed life into. He sees a beautiful restoration project. Some people might look at you and see you and think you're condemned, but God sees a great opportunity to flip that property. And he wants to invest in your life. He made you and he has good plans for you. Trust him. Maybe you're constantly reminded of where you come from. And that voice is always in the back of your head, pulling you back. But your shame is not your name. Your name is forgiven and chosen and not condemned and innocent today. If you accept that forgiveness through Jesus Christ on the cross. 
That should motivate us to tell everyone that we can possibly tell about what Jesus has done for you. The powers of evil knew Jesus' name from far away, but he has victory over sin. Go with Jesus and you can see big change happen in people's lives. And when we look at this life of Christ, we see he went out into the world and he didn't stay in the synagogue or the temple. He went and was launched out into the world to take the hope to the darkest places. And that's what we're called to do as well. Every head's bowed and eyes closed. As the band comes. We come up with a lot of excuses as to why we can't serve anymore. Maybe we've been hurt in the past. And that's real. Church hurt is real. Maybe we've been burnt out. That's real too. They didn't have healthy boundaries. Our leaders didn't have healthy boundaries for us. But ministry costs us something. It's not always going to be easy. Are you willing to do ministry that costs you something? Time, talents, resources. Even when it stops being fun and starts being hard and uncomfortable. What is God calling you to do? Maybe you had given up a long time ago. If you're not dead, God's not done with you. There's still something for you to do. Maybe that's you this morning. You've got to ask God, God, I have given up. I've quit because things got hard. And it's easier just to sit back and do nothing. Maybe that's your prayer today. God, what do you want me to do? I'll do it, whatever it is. I'm sorry that I uh, sat down and never got back up. Maybe that's something here at Clarksburg Baptist Church. Maybe that's something in the community where you're being a witness and you're taking Christ with you into the darkest places. Whatever that may be, God's not done with you yet. Maybe you're that person You feel hopeless, and sin has bound you. You don't see a lot of uh, hope for tomorrow or the next day. God doesn't see you that way. He wants to pull you out of that. He knows what you can be. He knows what he can do with you. He can restore you. He can lift you up. He can heal what's broken inside of you. Why don't you ask God to work on those things inside of you? Those things that you let hold you back. That whether it's a sin that's not been repented of. Hey, give it over to God. There's nothing better than accepting that forgiveness. Maybe you've got to get something right with somebody around you. Bitterness or hurt or, or, hey, look, there's nothing better than repentance. It's the most amazing thing in the world. Don't let your shame be your name. Break the cycle today and ask God what you should do. What's next? How do you begin to restore that life in you so that you might go and tell people 
of the hope that's found in Christ. Maybe you're here today and you're not sure that you are a follower of Christ. The Bible tells us we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of our sin is death. Every single one of us is in the same boat and it is sinking. But Romans 5.8 says that God commended his love towards us. Even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus died in your place. The sin that you had, all the wickedness that you had in your life, Christ paid for it already. So you have that choice. Do I want to allow Christ to pay for me and my sin, or do I want to pay for my sin? See, Jesus is not just a normal man or a good teacher. Jesus is God in the flesh, born of a virgin 2,000 years ago. And he walked this earth for 33 years. And he laid down his life after never sinning, being killed innocently. And he died on the cross in your place. And then on the third day, he rose again from the grave, bringing our salvation with him. The way that we have a relationship with God, the way that we are saved and rescued from our sin is not good works and it's not church membership or baptism. It is an act of faith and accepting that gift of the cross. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's eternal life, forever life. You can call out to God, uh, to God right now. Words aren't important. Not a magic prayer or a pledge of allegiance or something that you just recite. It is an act of turning away from everything that you held on uh, to. Putting your faith in Jesus and what he did on the cross. You could call out today with something like this. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I know that because of my sin, I deserve hell. God, please forgive me. Turning from everything I held on to, I put my faith in what you did on the cross as the only means to save me. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. If that's you today and you made that choice for the first time, or maybe it's just the first time you understood it. That's a huge deal. Again, it's not just a, a reciting of words, but a turn in your life. If you meant that, not just playing games with God, I want to encourage you to write that down on your connection card before you turn it in. Write those words, I chose Jesus. Because I'd love to follow up with you. Tell you what's next and celebrate with you. Dear Jesus, as we continue to worship you through song and, and prayer and this time of reflection, God, I pray that you would be honored in all we do. God, I pray your name would be lifted up. Hosanna in the highest. In your name we pray. Amen.